what I'm about to present uh, in many ways builds on uh, what uh, Professor Marta Burgo shared with us yesterday uh, on Aquinas' interpretation on, uh, of the book of uh, on the work of six days in Genesis. Uh, my, the ultimate goal of my presentation is to provide an answer uh, to those who think that the Aristotelian Thomistic metaphysics is completely incompatible with uh, evolutionary science and with the metaphysical aspects of uh, evolutionary science. Uh, on uh, the way uh, uh, to reach this goal, I'm going to proceed uh, first uh, with uh, a short analysis of Augustine's use of uh, of the concept of rationes seminales in his commentary, his last commentary on uh, Genesis, the Genesis, the Genesis Apitteram Libri Duodecim. Then I'm going to uh, try to answer the question of whether Augustine's position might be regarded as evolutionary. Uh, then I'm going to move to Thomas Aquinas and his use of Augustine's concept of rationes seminales. And eventually, uh, this will bring us uh, to a proposition of redefinition of the concept of rationes seminales with, uh, of the concept of rationes seminales within the context of uh, hieromorphic metaphysics and then to provide a constructive proposal of the Thomistic metaphysics of evolutionary transforms, which I believe uh, is compatible with the context of contemporary science. So first, with, we begin with, uh, with Augustine and his uh, last commentary on, uh, in, on Genesis. Uh, what interests us uh, particularly in this uh, commentary is his claim that God uh, made uh, everything together without any moments of time intervening. Hence, Augustine says we should not think of those six days of creation as solar days. So he is uh, open to uh, read uh, Genesis uh, in a metaphorical way, uh, I guess. And now, naturally, Augustine does, uh, did not think that all things, including man, earth, seas, plants, and animals, came to be fully formed in that first moment of creation. So creation is momentary. Uh, but uh, not everything came into existence right away. Uh, comparing and contrasting the two creation accounts opening the book of Genesis, he suggests that what were present in the first instant of the existence of the universe were only seed principles, rationes seminales, logoi spermaticoi, of all natural kinds, and that over the history of the universe, God unfolds the generations which he laid up in creation when he first founded it. In other words, God created all creatures together, whose visible forms he produces through the ages, working even until now, says Augustine. But what exactly are rationes seminales? Well, they do not seem to be uh, empirically verifiable seeds in the common understanding of the term. They are hidden from our sight, says Augustine. He compares them to the principle whereby we grow old, which lies in each one of us already when we are young. Even if such a principle cannot be seen by our eyes, says Augustine, by another kind of knowledge, we conclude that there is in nature some hidden force by which latent forms are brought into view. So uh, a little, uh, uh, I mean, later on he would say that those seed principles uh, are not, once again, seeds as we know them and we can you know, perceive them with our empirical uh, uh, you know, uh, approach to nature. The seminal seeds are 
somewhat more basic, more, uh, more, uh, more primordial, we might say. But uh, so, so for Augustine, we can interpret uh, his notion of uh, those rationalist seminars as if he was uh, trying to uh, to say that there is a potentiality in uh, in uh, this primordial matter from which uh, new natural kinds may uh, emerge. And yet, when, when we look uh, on the way he explains uh, or defines rationalist seminars, you can see that he is using. Uh, terms such as a hidden force or latent forms, which, uh, which sounds uh, uh, in a way as if there was something al already actually present in uh, this primordial nature. So those potentialities for them, they are in some way, uh, they, are, they are fixed. So there's, 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 there is potentiality in primordial, primordial nature, uh, or matter, I'm sorry, but it is fixed. And it is limited in number of those natural species that are already, in a way, put into this uh, primordial uh, matter. So this is the first concern that we have with Augustine. Is this potentiality, uh, or we would say, we would ask pure potentiality, uh, that can be, that can, uh, you know, effect in uh, anything actually emerging from this primordial matter, or this is potentiality of fixed uh, natural kinds that are already somehow uh, not fully actual, uh, but to some extent actual. So I, I think it's, uh, we don't have a clear answer to uh, that question in Augustine. The next question uh, that his uh, concept of rationalis seminalis rises is this. Uh, so this is the question concerning the unfolding of those rationalis seminalis. And here, on the one hand, Augustine seems to claim that when the proper conditions are met, gradual and spontaneous unfolding of rationalis seminalis occurs naturally. So that would be a natural process which does not require any special divine action. Yet, on another hand, he sometimes tends to interpret Genesis more literally, implying that each new kind originates in its adult form. And this naturally makes it hard to imagine how an adult form may originate from a seed without going through a normal process of development and growth. So it becomes apparent that such an origin might require a more direct divine action. So now I think we have a problem. If the first option is true with regard, uh, uh, with regard to the origin of natural kinds of living organisms, then somebody may say no special divine action seems to be necessary at all, because everything unfolds naturally. Uh, so uh, that somebody may say it comes close to deism, just God put those rationalist seminars and they just unfold. So here Augustine answers to this uh, challenge and he says, well, God uh, mm, has given numbers to his creation, but he has not bound his power by these numbers. What are numbers in this uh, statement? These are laws of nature. So everything follows uh, the laws that God put in nature. So even, uh, and yet, uh, God is not bound by those, those laws of nature. He can go beyond them. So even if the seed principles unfold according to these numbers, this does not exclude the possibility of divine intervention that is able to bring about an outcome that would not naturally occur. And this happens with the origin of uh, man uh, for Augustine. 
So he says that, his, that God's almighty power and wisdom, uh, they can go what uh, has been put in those uh, seminal, rational uh, seminars, seminal scenes. Now, if the second option is true, uh, with the regard of uh, the origin of natural kinds of all living organisms, uh, and if divine direct intervention is needed for uh, a new uh, natural kind to unfold from rationes seminales, then no rationes seminales are needed, one may say, because the creator is able to transform anything into anything, so why would he want uh, or why would he need rationes seminales? To this, Augustine answers in this way. If we should suppose that God now makes a creature without having implanted its kind in his original, original creation, we should flatly contradict sacred scripture, which says that on the sixth day, God finished all his work. So everything actually was put uh, in for him in those uh, rationes uh, seminales. So we are left with, uh, with this question of whether uh, and which, if, of, of whether species come into existence uh, from rationa seminalis through natural process of unfolding, or maybe a special direct divine action is needed to, uh, for them to, uh, to uh, unfold. So Augustine thinks actually that we should acknowledge that natural kinds come into being in both ways. However, uh, apparent that he thought Adam was created without observable process of growth and development, so through direct divine uh, action, Augustine does not seem to clarify if and which other species might have been produced, created in the same way, that is, with this special direct divine action. And we know that from the evolutionary perspective, it is a very important question, because biology tends to say everything happens and occurs in nature uh, you know, in, uh, in accordance to the laws of nature. Uh, so we are left in Augustine's account of creation with this question, uh, which he answers uh, in this way, that natural kinds, they come into being in both ways. But he does not specify which species other than human being may need this uh, special divine action. Now, uh, can we uh, treat uh, Augustine's uh, explanation or interpretation of Genesis as evolutionary? Uh, well, um, it was actually an, a, a very attractive point of reference, or it became a very attractive point of reference in the advent of the debate concerning Darwin's theory of evolution, I mean Augustine's interpretation of creation. Uh, it was in this context uh, that the attempt was made to actually describe Augustine's theory as evolutionary, in a way at least. Such was the opinion of a number of theologians and philosophers, especially at the early stage of the, uh, of the controversy over Darwin's uh, origin of uh, species. Uh, when the attitude of uh, the church and of Christians to this new theory was, to say the least, reserved and skeptical. To have the authority of Augustine in support of the, we would say, preliminary version of theistic evolution was regarded by those thinkers uh, as a major argument in favor of the credibility uh, of their theory. So to give you some examples, uh, in 1871, uh, in his book on the genesis of species, a British biologist and convert to Catholicism, uh, George Jackson Meaver, although he was critical about strictly naturalistic, agnostic, or atheistic interpretations of uh, Darwin's ideas, 
he nonetheless claimed that theistic evolution was thoroughly acceptable to the most orthodox theologians. And in doing so, he referred to the works of Augustine, Aquinas, and Francisco Suarez. Uh, similar to Mivard, uh, John Zahn, a Holy Cross priest from Notre Dame in Indiana, in 1896, uh, in his book uh, entitled Evolution and Dogma, he claimed that the most venerable philosophical and theological authorities of the Catholic Church, and here he says, including Augustine and Aquinas, supported theistic evolution. In 1921, uh, Henri de Dorlodot, the director of the Catholic University of Louvain's Geological Institute, in his book uh, that was later on translated as Darwinism and Catholic Thought, he argues that Catholics were at liberty to accept Darwin's idea of transformation of the species. And similar to Mivard and Zahn, uh, he was confident that he remained within the bounds of orthodoxy and invoked the works again of Augustine in particular for his support, and he actually referred extensively uh, to uh, Augustine's commentary uh, on uh, Genesis. Well, so we have those, uh, I mentioned three names, uh, at least uh, there's more of them, who uh, tried to interpret Augustine's theory as actually uh, being evolutionary. Uh, but obviously, we have to be very careful not to make too strong a claim. Uh, for Augustine, uh, certainly did not hold that species can arise one from another. In his understanding of nature, species unfold at the proper time out of their own seed principles, which are already present at the first moment of the existence of the universe. So although he did accept a form of gradualism, uh, without contradicting the possibility of direct divine intervention in the actualization of Rationa Seminales, Augustine should not be regarded, in my opinion, as a, um, the one who anticipated uh, evolutionary uh, theory. And indeed, it was precisely Augustine's, uh, Augustine's strong conviction that God made everything simultaneously at the moment of creation at Sinhilo without any moments of time intervening that made his theory unacceptable for Darwin, uh, who wanted to argue in favor of the of new species which were not present before in any way. Uh, moreover, the uncertainty regarding the possibility, if not necessity, of the direct divine intervention in the actualization of Rationa Seminales made Augustine's position even less tolerable for the proponents of uh, Darwinian evolution. Uh, so I would say that Augustine's world appears to be a kind of a pre-established harmony, if we may use this term in this context, in which everything has been decided and written down in the potentiality of the first primitive matter. Once again, those possibilities, those potentialities are fixed. Uh, he did not understand the potentiality he spoke about as a general metaphysical principle underlying the very fabric of the universe. Rather, he saw it as a potentiality of unfolding and coming into existence of concrete and fixed types of entities. So even if he says that God makes many new things which he did not make then, at the moment of creation, he adds, we cannot believe that he establishes a new kind since he finished all his works on the sixth day. So then the question arises of whether unfolding new natural kinds are truly new, 
or maybe they just appear to be new to us while they were uh, they are not like entirely entirely new they were present in some way uh, on like a very basic level of actualization already in a, a primordial matter so when we move to Aquinas now and the way he interpreted uh, uh, Genesis and the way he actually used uh, the notion of Rationes Seminales. So first we are aware of the fact that Thomas Aquinas contrasted uh, uh, Augustine's position with the uh, opinion of Ambrose and other fathers of the church, who as you know read the Bible more literally and considered the act of creation as uh, being, as, uh, not as being instantaneous, but rather as an act that was extended in time. Yet, uh, from many works, uh, or from, from many places in, in Aquinas' works, we know that uh, he sided more with Augustine, definitely. Mm, uh, so, uh, so because of that, uh, I believe, uh, in his interpretation of uh, Genesis, uh, he understands creation, and this is crucial for us, uh, he understands creation as uh, coming ex nihilo uh, into being out of, that means out of nothing, coming into being of the most primitive types of contingent entities, uh, that is the elements. So he was more specific. For, uh, for Aquinas, these are the elements. Uh, so he sees the act of creation as uh, instantaneous rather than extended in time. And we can see that, as I said, uh, we can see that in, uh, in, his, in many of his works, but especially in his commentary on the six days of Genesis in his Summa Theologiae, where he actually distinguishes the act of creation of the most primordial matter, that is elements, he distinguishes this uh, act, this work of creation from those of distinction and adornment. So he is very specific here. Uh, and he distinguishes creation from uh, what happened later on. And creation, once again, is the, crea is, is, is the creation of the most uh, primitive matter. Well, if this is true, uh, it becomes clear that for Aquinas, the subsequent production, because this is the word he uses, of more complex contingent beings was in a way mediated through the most basic uh, forms of material stuff, the origin of which was the outcome of the work of creation. In other words, more complex entities, in some respect, came from this primordial uh, matter, from the elements. So he, uh, following Augustine's concept of Rationes Seminales, he states that plants and trees might have been produced in their origin or causes. Uh, that is, the earth received the power to produce them, and they were subsequently brought into existence in the work of propagation. Similar with fishes and birds, which Augustine saw as produced by the nature of waters on that fifth day, potential, and animals whose production was potential as well. Now, this is obviously a clear reference to Augustine's concept of rationes seminales, and then it faces the same challenge of the double potentiality of those rationes seminales. That is their potentiality to naturally and spontaneously unfold in favorable circumstances, and their, pot their potentiality understood as providing a suitable ground for the instantaneous and direct, miraculous, divine intervention in the production of new forms of living creatures in their adult, um, 
uh, in the adult forms, if I may say uh, it this way. So uh, here Aquinas introduces an important distinction that uh, strives, I believe, uh, to clarify Augustine's position. So uh, when it comes to plants, Aquinas seems to be saying that the production of plants from the earth, he says, it belongs to the work of propagation. They were brought into actual existence by the work of government, which means they were brought into existence through the causality of secondary causes uh, in favorable circumstances. That would mean that plants for Aquinas, uh, unfolding of uh, rationes seminales of plants, does not require a direct special divine intervention. They simply unfold in favorable circumstances. Now, the case of animal is more complex. And uh, here, uh, Aquinas says that in the natural generations, uh, generation of all animals that are generated from seed, the active principle lies in the formative power of the seed. At the first beginning of the world, the active principle was the word of God, which produced animals from material elements. And here he says, either in act, as some holy writers say, or virtually, as Augustine teaches. So this theological opinion of Augustine leaves space for an interpretation assuming that even with animals, no special uh, divine intervention was needed uh, for them to unfold. They might have been produced virtually, and similar to the plant species, they may uh, spontaneously unfold in the proper conditions of the environment. And yet, when it comes to the, uh, to the origin of Adam, here Thomas uh, explicitly says that uh, this divine uh, action, the direct divine action, was necessary. And it was necessary first for the first human body to uh, uh, be formed, uh, uh, to come into existence uh, from those rational seminales, I believe. So it was needed for human body to emerge from rationes seminales. And then, uh, when it comes to his soul, Aquinas also emphasizes that here, uh, actually, what is needed here is the act of creation. Uh, because soul uh, comes into existence out of nothing at the moment of uh, the conception of the first man. Uh, so uh, he says that. Uh, the substantial form of man needs to be created, but this is not true of other forms, adds Aquinas. What does that mean? Well, uh, on another uh, place, he would say that the form of the thing generated depends naturally on the generator insofar as, as it is educed from the potentiality of mother. Well, we might interpret uh, this uh, claim uh, in a way uh, as if it was with regards to other uh, species of animals, uh, they may actually unfold without this special divine intervention. And uh, yet, uh, some uh, would say, and I think they may be right, that when Aquinas says what he says in uh, the Potentia question 5, he uh, does not uh, have in mind uh, emerging of new species out of uh, primordial uh, uh, um, mother. What he means 
is uh, the origin uh, of uh, new exemplars of an already existing species. So not coming into uh, being of the new uh, exemplar, of the first exemplar of new species. So, uh, because on yet another occasion, uh, we find Aquinas saying this, that the first member of the species were immediately created by God. And look, here he mentions not only man, but also first lion and so forth. So that would mean that Aquinas actually uh, considers or thinks that each species of, uh, an, of animal, each animal species actually requires this direct divine intervention for it to unfold from uh, rationes uh, seminales. So consequently, I think we must acknowledge that although he tried to clarify Augustine's position, he, not, uh, he did not entirely succeed in, uh, in uh, doing this. Uh, so he remained a little bit unclear in specifying uh, which types of natural kinds may origin through natural unfolding uh, of those seed principles and which actually do require divine, direct divine uh, causal uh, intervention. And assuming his theology in this matter follows faithfully the original thought of Augustine, it might be considered as being unable to fit within the context of the modern contemporary and contemporary versions of evolutionary theory. Now, this is Aquinas, Augustine's and Aquinas' commentary on the Genesis. But what we should remember and must, what we must be aware of is the fact that uh, Aquinas' reference to Augustine's concept of rationes seminales is or was accompanied by his general acceptance of Aristotle's moderate read, uh, read, realism about universals, including species, which is grounded in his hylomorphic metaphysics of substance. And here we find uh, a very useful uh, um, tools uh, which allow us to move forward uh, within the context of uh, Aquinas' uh, metaphysics and theology but to go beyond what he thought, because uh, he, know the, he knew the science of uh, his day, and science has moved forward. So first, uh, we look at the notion of the species. We know that Aristotle uh, criticized, criticized Plato's uh, concept of species conceived as immutable forms, separated from matter, and existing in the realm of eternal ideas. Now, for Aristotle, species are real, immutable and eternal in the sense that each one of them is defined by a substantial form of a particular kind. Which form causes uh, uh, an organism belonging uh, to a given species to be what it is and to exhibit a set of fixed and permanent traits. At the same time, however, every species exists only as realized in concrete temporal, individual, and contingent and changing organisms. Thus, while the essential intrinsic traits of a species are immutable, their existential exemplifications are, and realizations in nature are not. So Aristotelian metaphysics allows us to argue that all representatives of a, of a species share a common nature defined by the substantial form of a particular kind which yet finds its expression in the variety of interactions and interrelations between unique individuals that differ in many accidental features. So this is the notion of species. 
this notion of species is grounded in hylomorphism and what I call uh, two levels uh, or twofold uh, uh, or two levels of uh, potentiality. Uh, the point of departure is this uh, above-mentioned uh, above uh, uh, passage from Aquinas, uh, who says that the form of the thing generated depends naturally on the generator insofar as it is educed from the potentiality of matter. Now, what Thomas has in mind here uh, is most likely empirically verifiable secondary matter, that is a substance that has the potentiality to be, potentiality to be shaped or transformed into a different substance. But this potentiality uh, is ultimately grounded in primary matter, which Aquinas, following Aristotle, defines, as you know, as the most basic metaphysical principle of potentiality, underlying nature, primary uh, substratum, which is matched by a complementary metaphysical principle of act, that is substantial form, the definition or the statement of the essence. So we have two levels of potentiality, uh, which is actualized by, uh, by substantial form, by, by, uh, by uh, the principle of actuality. Why is it important? Well, it is important because as pure potentiality, primary matter can be actualized by any substantial form. Yet, at the same time, the type of form actualizing primary matter in case of a substantial change in which a given substance A is replaced by another substance B is not random. Uh, the type, uh, so, so it depends on both the substantial form and accidental forms actualizing uh, substance A. These principles of actuality dispose this substance to enter specific accidental or substantial changes, which narrows the scope of potentialities of primary matter that may be actualized in the, in the given change. To give an example, if you put a wooden log into a fire, it does not melt, but burns, and turns into a pile of ash, and not, let's say, into a butterfly. So, although the pure potentiality of primary matter underlying the wooden log can be actualized by any substantial form, the fact it is currently actualized by the substantial form of wood, this disposes primary matter, that is, sets up a limit of, uh, a limited scope of its potentialities that can be actualized within a limited range of substantial changes a wooden log may enter. This is very profound. We have, once again, two levels of potentiality. One, the first level where uh, the potentiality of uh, things that we can perceive by our senses, uh, things may change. This bottle may be squeezed or burned, uh, but when I burn it, it will not turn into a butterfly or a bird. It will turn into, uh, some, uh, into ash, let's say. Uh, so why? Because the scope of potentialities on this level of uh, analysis of matter is limited, but it is underlined by this primary matter, which is potentiality, a sheer potentiality uh, that may be actualized, actualized by any substantial form. Uh, and I think that this gives us a possibility to uh, provide a, a atomistic uh, notion of evolutionary uh, transformism. 
in order to do that, I'm sorry, I did not press the button on the right time. In order to uh, provide uh, this atomistic notion uh, of uh, evolutionary transformation, we may refer to a short passage from Aquinas uh, where he says, and it is, I think, very important for us in this context, he says that matter can be understood to receive accidents by which it is disposed to a higher perfection. So Aquinas actually uh, uh, notes in nature, or perceives in nature, uh, uh, or perceives in his metaphysical account of uh, what nature is and how it works, he sees this uh, tendency uh, in, uh, in, by, by which primary matter is being disposed gradually to receive new substantial and more perfect uh, substantial forms. And based on this assertion, we may de describe natural kinds of animal creatures as evolving. Uh, they may be seen and classified as lineages of closely related organisms whose underlying primary matter is gradually disposed uh, to be informed by novel and more perfect substantial forms educed from its potentiality. Certainly, metaphysical perfection, defined in terms of the complexity and scope of active and passive dispositions of a given entity, is not equivalent to the biological and evolutionary perfection, which is defined in terms of reproductive success and dominant occupying of an ecological niche. However, this does not prevent us uh, from conceiving natural kinds within the framework of the classical Aristotelian Thomistic metaphysics as evolving. An evolutionary transition may be thus defined in this context as a series of minor genetic and epigenetic changes that affect minor phenotypic variations, which from the metaphysical view may be seen as accidental changes, which in turn gradually change the disposition of primary matter underlying subsequent organism of the lineage, let's say, L1 of the species S1. Uh, and this uh, process, highly complex and extended in time, might lead to a precise instant at which the primary matter underlying the egg and the sperm coming from particular male and female organisms of sexually reproducing species S1, at their entering the substantial change in which they join and give an origin to a, a new organism, this primary matter is not disposed to be actualized by the old substantial form of the species S1, but by a new substantial form of the species S2, which is educed from the potentiality of primary matter uh, that underlies uh, these uh, gametes. Uh, so this new organism, or organisms, as the process described here is commonly considered as taking place within a population, those organisms, they start the new lineage L2, which happens to be the lineage of the new species S2. Uh, it takes many mutations and epigenetic changes, the outcomes of which are regulated by natural selection to produce such an effect. And its actual occurrence may be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to capture. But this does not exclude the possibility of its occurrence, and once again, I want to emphasize we can describe this process within the classical Aristotelian Thomistic metaphysics. This brings me uh, to the constructive proposal of the uh, 
of, of, uh, really f uh, of, the, of a redefinition of uh, Rationes uh, Seminales, uh, with the reference to uh, Aquinas' interpretation uh, of uh, Aristotle's metaphysics and his development of Aristotle's metaphysics. So Aquinas would not say what I'm going I, I will say uh, in a minute, but I believe that the system, uh, the metaphysical system that he uh, provides and develops, enables us to give this uh, interpretation. So uh, I would like to uh, suggest that seed principles, uh, those uh, rationes seminales of which both uh, Augustine and Aquinas uh, speak, uh, those rationes seminales should not be defined as organisms that are virtually present in their dormant latent forms. Uh, inherent to the most primitive matter created with the origin of the universe. So in a way, in some uh, uh, like very uh, basic way, uh, basic way uh, actual. Uh, I, I think they should not be, uh, those rationale seminaries should not be defined as potentialities of fixed natural kinds, limited in number. They rather should be uh, defined in, uh, uh, in reference to those two levels of potentiality inherent in the very fabric, fabric of the cosmos, that is, first, pure potentiality of each and every instantiation, I'm sorry, pure potentiality of primary matter, which can be, as I said, actualized by all possible types of substantial forms, proper for both inanimate and animate natural kinds, and then in terms of potentiality of primary matter underlying each and every instantiation of secondary matter, materia secunda, which is specified by the substantial form and accidental forms characteristic of a, a particular natural kind in belo it belongs to. So this is extremely important, I think, because this notion of those two levels of uh, potentiality, it gives us a possibility to describe the flexibility of dynamic changes and processes that occur in nature as we perceive them within the context of uh, contemporary science. So we have uh, the potentiality that is uh, present on the level of secondary matter, once again, which is limited in many ways. So we may say only certain uh, range of things may uh, you know, come out of, those, uh, of, of matter on the uh, of secondary matter on this level of, uh, of our analysis, but we are aware of this primary matter, this ultimate potentiality uh, that uh, uh, um, can be actualized in, in any possible way. So, uh, um, once again, we have this, uh, so, so this, is the, this is the crucial point, uh, and I want to once again uh, emphasize this. What is crucial here is this definition of uh, two levels uh, of uh, potentiality, so uh, that it allows us to think in nature in, in, in the following way, to give an example. So uh, we may think about uh, a process, a chain of uh, changes in nature, in which we have the first substance at T1. Uh, uh, so the primary matter of this substance is uh, actualized by substantial form of this uh, substance one, and that limits the scope of uh, potentialities of primary matter that may be actualized in the next change, in the transition from T1 to T2. It limits it in, uh, in such a way that what can occur in this substantial form is uh, substance two and not substance, let's say, uh, two star. Uh, and yet, 
uh, on the way of subsequent, subsequent changes of, uh, of occurring uh, in nature, uh, primary matter may be actually uh, disposed in a particular way so that, let's say, at Tn, it actually becomes disposed to be actualized by substantial form of the substance uh, to start. So what was not possible uh, before, after many substantial changes, uh, may actually be possible. So you can uh, see how flexible this uh, proposition is, or this notion of uh, uh, metaphysical, metaphysical notion of matter is. So it allows uh, uh, us to speak of uh, potentialities that are present in matter in, 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 in many possible, uh, in, in many ways. So this is my uh, proposition of uh, the way in which uh, in evolutionary uh, biology may actually find uh, interesting the metaphysical uh, interpretation of uh, what happens in biological transitions, this uh, interpretation provided by uh, Aristotelian Thomistic uh, metaphysics. So uh, coming to, uh, to, to uh, closing uh, my um, uh, presentation, I would like to uh, now answer the question uh, of I mean, to, to which extent it follows Aquinas and where it actually goes beyond what Aquinas thought uh, about uh, creation when we think about uh, species coming into existence in the way I have described here. So uh, uh, for sure, uh, since evolutionary processes are classified as productive of new types of natural kinds and not as creating them ex nihilo, so our understanding of the act of creation limits the act of creation uh, uh, to the least uh, complex primordial matter. But I think that Aquinas uh, thought this way uh, following Agassiz, so I think it's in line with what Aquinas teaches on creation. Mm, well, Another aspect of the same point is that evolutionary processes as such, in my uh, description, in my understanding, they belong to the work of adornment. Within Aquinas' distinction of the three stages uh, in the Genesis account of the work of six days. Now, Aquinas probably thought that the work of six days was completed. Uh, we nowadays would uh, tend to think that uh, it was not completed in this regard, that new types of uh, uh, natural kinds are being produced. Uh, so this develops and goes farther uh, than what Aquinas says. Then as a result, the work of six days is not completed, as I said. It is, a, a, it is a, as its uh, last stage, it is still ongoing and affects the origin of new types of natural kinds, both animate and inanimate if we wish to extend the scope of our analysis beyond biological evolution to, and to reflect upon its chemical and physical uh, counterparts. The origin of new species occurs through production from pre-existing matter with ancestry in a process of universal common descent within a complex nexus of genetic and epigenetic variations, the outcomes of which are regulated by natural selection working on populations that consist of uh, concrete organisms, very important for us here, characterized by their natural teleological tendencies to survive and produce fertile offspring. With the exception of the origin of man, the last point, uh, very important, uh, with the exception of man, uh, whose soul created directly ex nihilo at the moment of uh, 
uh, the conception uh, of the first man. Uh, evolutionary transformations do not require God's direct divine intervention. This naturally does not exclude nor prevent such an intervention of the creator of, uh, of, of, of the creator in the natural processes, uh, including evolutionary processes. So even though we see that uh, you know those uh, new uh, natural kinds they evolve and they come into being from the potentiality of ultimately primary matter, in natural way, uh, following what we call the laws of nature, it does not prevent God from miraculously bringing into existence a new species. Why not? So we can see that uh, some of those points, I believe the second, the third, and the fourth, they go beyond uh, But at the same time, uh, they do not, uh, they do not, uh, you know, um, they do not contradict any crucial or core principle of Aquinas' uh, teaching, in my opinion, and his uh, metaphysics. Uh, they, the, the possibility, uh, the possibility of harmonizing them with the main objectives of the uh, of the new uh, science, uh, it all. I mean, I believe that what I have presented shows that uh, you know the traditional philosophy and theology actually can uh, be uh, valuable and can uh, actually meet the challenge of uh, of contemporary science, and it is still relevant within uh, its context. Uh, I think that's about it. Uh, thank you for your patience and attention. So thank you for your people. I wanted just to say um, one thing about the uh, creation of the human soul. So um, it is in fact the science's position that God has the hands to create everything.
causes some kind of allows some kind of overlap between Darwinian species and mm -hmm. So uh, it is a very complex question, and Darwin uh, actually. He questioned the very idea of species, as you probably know. And uh, I, I, I don't have, unfortunately, time here. There is a whole conversation within the philosophy of biology. We have, let's say, probably six or seven main com uh, definitions of species and, and 30 other uh, you know, uh, variations of, uh, of the, the definitions of species. So there's a huge conversation going on. Uh, my understanding of the species, uh, and I will argue, uh, that it is defined by a particular kind of substantial form, which has, uh, which uh, has, uh, uh, which or which uh, affects uh, uh, the observable uh, aspects of an animal that we can capture by our sensual uh, description uh, and analysis. So this is actually what biologists are doing, but they want to step aside from the essentials uh, understanding of what species are. But then. Many of the, they can, they cannot but uh, compare animals in various ways, and this is the way for them to uh, define species. Even if you look at the evolutionary definition of species, what they do, they actually compare morphology of uh, of uh, extinct uh, extinct animals because this is all they can do. But it's it's a very complex uh, issue. Thank you very much for your talk. Exactly the time I thought I was ready to listen um, to So thank you very much. I have a question and a comment. Uh, when I first met uh, the genesis of Litter and Thomas Pines work, I was very enthusiastic to see how modern their thought were, how they could be as you demonstrated, to the current scientific uh, uh, discoveries. And so I was already puzzled by the fact that these thoughts were essentially forgotten for so many centuries. My question to you is, would you have made the same talk without knowing the cosmological moment, that is, without having the uh, pressure by the scientific discoveries? And the comment I have is, I often think how Einstein and St. Thomas would modify their thought by knowing by having our knowledge about the evolution of the universe. And I think, I hope they don't evolve in the graves now, I think that they would consider not only the past of the creation, but also the future. Because since now we know that the characteristic of the world is historical, we should also look at what will be the future of creation. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so, thank you for this comment and answering uh, to your question. Uh, I don't think I would have exactly the same model. And yet, what I was trying to show is, is, uh, is uh, that those uh, principles of their Aristotelian Thomistic metaphysics, they enable us to see this potentiality on those two levels. And I think it is in the system, but they did not apply it to, uh, to, uh, to the... Uh, Creation uh, to the to the work of creation uh, in uh, the Genesis to the theological account of creation in the same way as I did. They they they, they somehow uh, felt that they have to remain uh, um, at this level at which uh, the the creation uh, is uh, is in a way finished in the work of six days. So it is it it is it is. So all the species are put in uh, in, the, in in this primordial mother, and 
And I think uh, Aquinas actually followed, in my opinion, Augustine in thinking that those potentialities are fixed. So his system has the allows you to think in the way I presented it, but he himself, he thought those uh, potentialities were fixed. And here I see the difference, you know? So I think I would, yeah. You had a noted in the presentation there that uh, the ratio uh, regimes and values do not exist virtually. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you know that according to Aristotle, prime uh, does exist virtually in, in the thing. Um, so I just wanted to uh, give clarification of if it's not, if they don't exist virtually, how do you say it? Well, I said they do not exist virtually as latent forms uh, and as potentialities that are in some way... What I see there is this certain most basic level of actuality uh, in this... So this is not potentiality, a sheer potentiality. This is not the principle of, their, uh, of anything coming actually into being, which I think what ultimately is. So here I see, uh, I see the difference. So they are not virtually present as, once again, as uh, latent forms, because he uses this term. And my question is, what is latent form and what is force, right? Force is something, uh, is, it, is, it actu is it actual or not? So uh, here I see uh, the, the difficulty for, for, for their interpretation. Thank you. Uh, it's a very interesting Paul. I'm just wondering, how do you might reconcile this view of Thomistic evolution as the working out of potentialities um, in more primitive forms of life um, in such a way to give more complex forms of life with the fact that um, genetic mutation, which is the driving force behind um, a lot of evolution as we know it from contemporary biology, is I think best characterized as a violence done to uh, an organism, and often not a good violence, right? It's a violence that is um, has the potential to be destructive of the organism, and so on. So it doesn't seem like the genetic mutations that are behind evolutionary pressures um, are clearly the working out of internal potentialities. Uh, that lead to the flourishing of the organism. It seems like there's instead some kind of violence being done there. I'm wondering how you might reconcile that with your model. Thank you. So the mutations, they are uh, not workings of potentialities. The mutations are workings of, these are, uh, the, 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 they are worked by efficient causes. Uh, by already, by, by, uh, by entities surrounding uh, an organism. So, uh, so if we, uh, if we think them this way, uh, these are just uh, things that happen in nature, and uh, and uh, potentialities are uh, within the or on, on the secondary uh, uh, on the level of the secondary matter and ultimately primary matter. Which so once again, mutations for me are not workings of potentiality. They are once again, I'm repeating myself, efficient causes. So these are not potentialities. I don't know if it answers to your question, but. Uh, as long as I've gotten the microphone, I'll ask a question. I notice that um, your account is close to obvious reasons from, for us. Uh, it was missing the roles of the celestial bodies and eminent causality. 
But that is rather important for Thomas's account about thinking about including one of the passages you presented, yeah. right? So the, yeah. the ability of the earth to receive these higher perfections depends precisely that there's another kind of natural body, namely the sun, that through its eminent cause can even produce yes. living bodies, say worms, from putrefying matter. Um, and that didn't seem to be anywhere in your account. Do you regard it as, as sort of a, a strange just feature of Thomas that can be taken off, a uh, barnacle that we can scrape off? Or what do we do with the role of, of celestial eminent causes for the natural inducing of forms? Thank you very much. Actually, in my writings, I, I, I defend uh, this notion. And I'm sorry, I should have uh, uh, put it in my presentation. And I simply, uh, I simply, uh, I would not regard it as a super eminent, because nowadays we know sun is just a sun. It is just uh, one of the again efficient causes. I mean, without it, he, they were right. Without the energy coming from the sun, most of the things would not occur in nature, including mutations and all sorts of uh, changes. So I would regard it as another, uh, as one of the factors that uh, contributes to extremely complex, uh, uh, you know, uh, array of uh, causes that contribute to the uh, to the evolutionary change. So yeah. All right, so um, first of all, thank you very much for your time.